Okay, good morning, everybody. Thank you so much for a warm welcome. Uh, it's good to be back in Perth after a number of years. And uh, I just want to say um, thank you to Pastor Benny, Pastor Dan, and all of the wonderful team here at FCC. Congratulations on your wonderful new facility. I'm, I'm, uh, this is my first time here, and it's uh, really a, a wonderful place. I also want to say good morning and uh, greetings to your city campus that are watching, uh, uh, I think, through a video link. And also, what is it? Did you say NCLC? <laughs> there, you know, the, 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 there are several groups watching, maybe uh, others who are uh, online. So I'm just uh, very glad to be here. Um, I know that you've had a, a focus on discipleship. So I would like to say something about that. And. Uh, what I'm sharing about becoming a disciple of the Lord really is rooted in our understanding of the Hebraic roots of the gospel. I've written a book about that that outlines the connection between uh, the, the, the revelation of Israel in modern day to the establishment of God's kingdom on earth through the making of disciples. And that book is called Equip. It's a, a roadmap of discipleship. And I th it's available outside. So if, if you're interested in taking the next step uh, down the road of becoming an effective disciple, a fruitful disciple in your life, you might want to pick that up. Also, uh, since we've been in Israel for 35 years, my wife is from a Jewish family. We went as immigrants, became citizens of Israel. That's our permanent home. Um, little over 30 years ago, uh, we joined together uh, with another couple, and together we founded a messianic congregation reaching out to both Jews and Arabs on the top of Mount Carmel, uh, the mountain of Elijah. So uh, we invite you to come visit us, uh, come to the land of Israel. Twice a year we offer a program which is an intensive 12-day immersion into Israel through the eyes of the local believers. So we bring you into a local congregation, you learn with us, you worship with us, you pray with us, and then we begin to take you around our land and we take you to the site of biblical significance. For many people, it's an eye-opening experience, especially if you've been a Christian for a number of years and you've been, you love the stories of the Bible. It's really quite um, amazing to go to the places where these things actually happened. Uh, and then also to see the uh, local believers in Israel who are worshiping Jesus as the Jewish Messiah uh, in his own land, in his own language, uh, among his own people for the first time in 2,000 years. This is something you can be told about, you can hear about, you can read about it, but it's really another, uh, another dimension of truth when you come and see it with your own eyes and, uh, and meet the people who are bringing, welcoming Yeshua, Jesus, uh, back to his own land uh, in the modern day. So that's called the Mount Carmel School of Ministry, uh, twice a year, March and November, uh, and uh, I think there's information out there at the same table uh, where the books are available, so you can make yourself, uh, make that available to you. So let's pray, and we're gonna launch right in. Lord, we just thank you for giving us this special time together this morning. We pray that you'll use these minutes for your purpose, open the eyes of our hearts, stir up in me the gift to teach your word and to be clear uh, with your people, and we commit this time to you in the name of Jesus, amen. I wanna focus on one important aspect of becoming a disciple, and that has to do with, with finding your identity in the kingdom. I think one of the important things about being, an, being a, a, an influential, a fruitful disciple, is that you come to know who you are. There's a, 
a story uh, in the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus took his personal disciples to a place called Caesarea Philippi. And many of you know this story. Um, maybe you haven't been there. When you come to visit us in Israel, we'll take you to the actual spot, all right? But, uh, uh, you know, it's a beautiful place uh, north of the Galilee, close to the Lebanese border. Uh, trees, rivers, and it's a quiet spot. Um, Jesus deliberately took his disciples there, and, you know, he asked them a question. Uh, he, he said to them, who do you say that I am? And one of his disciples had just, was just receiving this important revelation and was able to say in the spirit, he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Okay, so this is a, a well-known portion of the scripture. It's Matthew, in Matthew chapter 13. And so Jesus said, well, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. You, you got this by revelation. You really correctly identified me. But in the next moment, it's as if the Son of God then says to his disciple, okay, by revelation, you have correctly identified me. Now, allow me to correctly identify you. And in the next, uh, in the next breath, uh, Jesus says to his disciple, well, let me tell you something about you, Simon. Uh, you're, you're, you're someone different than most people think you are. Uh, you know what, people think you're impulsive, that you're unreliable, that you're kind of an unstable character, you know, and you know, you got a good heart, but you're, you know, it's unpredictable what you're going to do next, uh, and you're always arguing with me, uh, you, know, you know the story about this, this guy Simon, but Jesus says to him, let me tell you something about you, you're Peter, you're a rock, and on, on people like you, I'm going to build a whole community, and the gates of hell will not be able to withstand it, and I'm going to give to you personally amazing authority in my kingdom. I'm giving you the keys. You open the door on earth, I'll open the door in heaven. You close the door on earth, I'll close the door in heaven. And you know, we don't see this in the life of this disciple for the next uh, chapters, okay, in, in Matthew. He goes on arguing with the Lord, contradicting the Lord, denying the Lord, uh, leaving the minute. I mean, he does, he does all kinds of stuff. But if you follow this man's life into the book of Acts, you really realize what Jesus was talking about. He emerges as a rock-like figure, one of the greatest of all the apostles. Uh, his shadow falling on people would, would bring healing to them. He raises, he raises a woman from the dead. He opens the door to the Jewish people on the day of Pentecost. 3,000 are saved in Jerusalem. Eight chapters later, in Acts chapter 10, he opens the door to the Gentiles in Caesarea in the home of Cornelius, uh, the Roman centurion, and the Gentiles come in. Uh, he emerges as one of the great apostles of the New Testament age. Uh, and that's what Jesus was talking about, all right? Way back, you know, months, maybe years earlier in Caesarea Philippi, saying, Simon, let me tell you something about you that only God can know. That's how important identity is. So I want to take you down the road of, uh, of finding your identity in God's kingdom. Because there are a number of people in the scriptures who over a period of time uh, with in the presence of the Lord, came to the conclusion that there was nothing accidental about their lives. And I want to give you a few scriptural examples. Um, turn to Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. Maybe we have it even on the screen here. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. Now, you know that Jeremiah was a, a prophet of the Lord. He was a young man when God called him. 
and uh, he had a very unpopular message, okay? He was, it was not, you know, a feel-good message that he was given to bring to his people Israel. Uh, he had many opportunities to be discouraged, I'm sure. But at a certain point, God spoke to him about his calling. Here's what God said. Jeremiah 1, verse 5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. So he's saying to this young, this young minister, you know, Jeremiah, listen, one thing you need to know for sure right now is that none of this is by accident. I, God, I already decided about your life before you were born. I'm the one who set you aside before your birth to have this prophetic ministry. I'm the one who appointed you. And I guess what underlies this is, isn't God saying, I'm taking responsibility for you? You do, you do what you're supposed to do, and I'm, I'm standing behind you. I'm going to make this work. All right, and I, I think it, was, it must have been a, a powerful revelation for Jeremiah, but also a powerful word of encouragement. But, you know, in the scriptures, he's far from alone. Let's go on to, uh, you know, there, and there are many examples, but I chose a handful for this morning. Let's, uh, let's take a look at King David, uh, Psalm 139, verse 13. You know, King David was a very gifted warrior, uh, and he lived in a, in a time, you know, when, when in order to be successful as a leader in Israel, you kind of had to be like a warlord, all right? And, and David was probably one of the most successful warriors that uh, ever came out of the people of Israel. But later in his life, after he became king, he wrote a, a lot of songs that were inspired by the Holy Spirit. And this is one of those songs. And so he's, he's singing prophetically back to the Lord, and the words of his song, inspired by the Spirit, have been, have been enshrined in Scripture for our benefit. So here's one of the things that he sings to the Lord, Psalm 139, verse 13. For you formed my inward parts, you wove me in my mother's womb. Okay, so similar to Jeremiah, right? He comes to this realization late in life that there was nothing accidental about him, but in fact, he was designed by God before he was born, okay? You wove me, you made me who I am in my mother's womb before I was born. Okay, but now, if you go three verses on to verse 16, it gets deeper and more mysterious. Take a look at verse 16. Here's what he sings, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. All right? I mean, if we understand the words, it is more mysterious, isn't it? What he's saying is that you designed my life and you had a daily plan for me that you had already decided upon before I began to live those days. All right, think about the life of this man, David. He lived a very dangerous life. As, as, as we know, he was a warlord. He was a warrior most of his life. Think how many times this man got up in the morning, strapped on his sword, walked out the door of his home, not knowing what condition he might be in in the evening when he returned, or even whether he would return in the, in the evening, because he lived a very dangerous life. All right? 
But later in his life, when he sings this song to the Lord, isn't he saying, Lord, I didn't know how it was going to turn out, but you always did. You had already decided. And I was simply living out the plan that you had established for me before the day I was born. Okay, as I said, there are many instances of this in the scripture. Let's, let's go on. We'll go on into the New Testament. How about the Apostle Paul? Okay, here's this guy. He's a, he's a, a Jewish youngster born in a Greek-speaking Roman city called Tarsus outside of the land of Israel, but he's brilliant, and when he's still young, his parents send him off to Jerusalem where he's mentored by one of the great rabbinical leaders of his day, a man named Gamaliel. He becomes a zealous Pharisee, in fact, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, zealous to the degree that he, he actively persecutes the early disciples of Jesus. Then on his way to Damascus, he has this massive spiritual encounter with the risen Lord. He's struck down. He's caused to be blind. He has this conversion experience. He believes in, in, in Jesus, becomes a, a, a dedicated, zealous disciple of the Lord. And then years later, emerges as one of the great apostles, the, the apostle to the nations, takes the gospel throughout the, throughout the Roman Empire. Okay? But later... He writes to one of the churches that he planted, a church in Galatia. This is what he wrote to them. Galatians chapter 1, verse 15. But when God, who had set me apart, even from my mother's womb, and called me through his grace. So what he realized later is that even before any of that happened, God had already planned, right? already planned and already decided that man is going to be my apostle, okay? He's going to be the one who's going to take the gospel out of Israel, out to the nations. He's going to end up writing at least a third of the New Testament. His words will be considered inspired scripture for, well, it's been now 2,000 years, okay? God already decided that before he was born. That's what Paul is saying, right? All right, let's go on. How about Jesus? Anything accidental about his life? All right, he says in John chapter 10, verse 30, he says, I and the Father are one. Now, when he says, I and the Father are one, he doesn't mean at this particular moment. Okay, that for sure, he's one with the Father at that particular moment. But what he means is, we've always been one. Eternally, we, there's never been a time in all eternity from before the creation of the universe that we weren't one. And there will never be a time, okay, in the future, in all of eternity, where we will not be one. We are one, and we have always been, and we will always be one. And he further said, I never say anything except what I hear the Father say. I never do anything except what I see the Father do, okay? He's, he's, that's what he meant by being one with the Father. It's already been decided. Jesus is living out the eternal plan of God. He is the Lamb of God who was slain 
before the foundation of the world, okay? His blood was intended to be shed for us, for our atonement, for our cleansing, for to, to make us uh, covered, to cover our sins so we could stand before a holy God. This was always God's plan uh, from the beginning and throughout eternity. Okay, so I just gave you four examples, and I would give you more, but time will not allow, okay? Because there are many more, many more, and when you begin to see this amount of scriptural evidence in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, personally, I think there's only two possible conclusions you could come to. And one of those conclusions is, well, yeah, I guess God, well, it's pretty obvious. The scriptures are clear. It's pretty obvious that God specially designs some people, right? Obviously, I mean, these people aren't lying, right? They're inspired by the Holy Spirit, okay? Uh, some people are specially designed by God. There are some people that God handcrafts, you know, like a luxury workshop uh, somewhere in some reserved part of heaven. And then there's the rest of us who are basically stamped out in a factory <laughs> in the industrial part of heaven, okay? I mean, that's, that's the first, you could come to that conclusion. A, a God obviously has at least two classes of servants, you know, the designer class <laughs> and the clueless class, right? <laughs> you, know, you know, at least two classes. Okay, that's, that's one conclusion. Another conclusion you could come to is, well, you know, God put these examples in scripture for our benefit. Because what's true about each one of these people in the Bible, and many others, if you, if you look through in, uh, the Bible and, and really examine their stories, um, so many others, what's true about them must be true about each one of us. And, and that's the point that God is trying to get across to us through the scriptures, is that not one of us is here by accident. That before you or I were born, God had already decided where we would were, were to be born. Who would be our parents? What would be our ethnicity? What would be our location? What would be our time? You didn't choose any of that as far as I know, right? Yeah. All right. God did. And more than that, he knew who you were. And if we believe King David, he had a plan. He already has a plan for your life that goes down to really small details. He knows you. He created you. He designed you according to a plan, a detailed plan for your life. He designed you for that plan. And because his father's heart is so filled with love, there was a great dream in his heart that he wanted to see you achieve in this life. And that's also part of the plan. Okay, I'm going to go with the second conclusion. You know, you know, I, I, because I think it's consistent with the nature of God. And it's also consistent with his, the, his, his characteristic as being tremendously creative. God is, is all-powerful, all creativity, all life, and he never has to do the same thing twice. Now, he, he actually is powerful enough that if he ever wanted to do the same thing exactly twice, he obviously absolutely could do that. 
But just about all the time, or most of the time, he chooses not to do that. And he gives us little clues, you know, like every leaf on every tree, from the Garden of Eden to the trees beside the River of Life in the book of Revelation. Every tree in between, every tree that ever will be, every leaf on every tree that ever was or ever will be is going to be different from the next leaf. He just doesn't do them twice. Every cloud in the sky that ever was, ever will be, is going to be different from the next one. Every wave on the sea, every grain of sand. Okay, he's giving us little clues. He's saying, ah, yeah, I'm better than you think. <laughs> and when it comes to humans, how much more creative do you think that he's going to be? Because the Bible says we're the crown of his creation. The only part of God's creation where he himself says, I make them my humans. I make them in my image. I have made them to be like me. And so there's nothing random about your life. When God makes a human, he has a beautiful plan. You know, and he says this explicitly in parts of scripture. I'm thinking of one place in the prophet Jeremiah. What does he say? I know the plans that I have for you plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and hope. I mean, that's, that's one of them. Over and over, God is talking about his ability, his desire, and the fact that he plans our life. He's got something good in mind for us. Now, practically speaking, how, how, how does this work out in our life? Okay, so I'm going to, you know, because, uh, again, in, uh, in a Short service like this, we can't go into all the details. You just have to buy the book, okay? Get on that road, all right? But, um, but you know, and actually, you know, I, I was really encouraged when I understood that the focus of your community is on discipleship, becoming a disciple. And in my mind, you know, discipleship starts with, uh, with faith. Faith opens the door. Without faith, you don't enter the kingdom. You need faith, and even a mustard seed of faith, to enter the kingdom and, uh, and to begin to relate uh, to a holy God. And as soon as you come into the kingdom, the basics of discipleship are things like, who is God? Okay, uh, what is the Bible? What is the Holy Spirit? How to begin living a life that, is, that reflects the purity of God. But among the basics, probably the most important thing for all of us as we start the, the pathway of discipleship is how to pray. Prayer is establishing that living dialogue with the living God. Okay, it's not something you read out of a book. It's not something you recite, although you can. Okay, nothing, nothing wrong with that. But the heart of prayer is dialogue with a real living God. It starts by we tell him things. And then we tell him true things, okay? True things. And, and you know, and that may sound really simple, but you know that it's not. You know, you have to really trust someone to tell them true things about yourself. Okay, and that's part of learning to know God, becoming a disciple. You learn to trust him. You, uh, the more you trust him, the more true things you tell him. All right, and that, that's part of prayer because the other part that's equally, if not more important, is after you tell him things, you listen to him. All right, and a disciple learns to hear the voice of God. 
A disciple learns to speak to God in spirit and in truth. Privately is more important than publicly, but we, some, it's a good thing to learn both, all right? But you learn to speak to God, but more importantly, you learn to listen to God. And this is why discipleship is a process. Conversion, belief, might take you just an instant. You enter the kingdom. In that moment, you believe. But discipleship is a process, and, and, and we learn to discern the words of God. When God is speaking to you, to me, personally, and what does his voice sound like? Because his voice is different from anybody else's voice. And it takes a while to understand, ah, oh, this is the voice of God. All right, and we can talk more about this, but, um, but that's not my subject today, all right? But that's how you start, all right? All right. Now, let's say God created all of us, and there was a plan. We come into this life a few kilograms of human, <laughs> you know, humanity, all right? I'm a grandfather now, so I know this, you know. You come in, you know, you're, you're, you're you know, you don't know anything, right? You don't know anything. And probably for most people at that point, two other humans become like gods in your life, right? I mean, you don't know God. You don't know the plan. You're just, feed me, you know? <laughs> that, that, that's life. And, and these two people who become like gods are usually mom and dad, all right? And, you know, they may be believers. Maybe they're not believers, at this point, it almost doesn't matter because what, what they succeed in doing in the weeks and the months that follow is all of their dreams, all of their plans, all of their expectations, all of their values, plus all of their broken dreams, all of their thwarted plans, all of their things that didn't work out, they, they managed to layer on your little tiny shoulders, okay? It's, they don't... Most parents don't plan to do this. It just kind of happens, all right? And if you survive that process, you get to go to school. And there your friends and your teachers take over. And they have other plans for you. And they have other values. And they're, they're going to teach you other things about what it, what it means to be accepted and how, how much it hurts to be rejected and, and how you have to talk and how you have to behave and what kind of T-shirt you have to wear. And, you know, I mean, it's like there's a, a million things you have to learn, okay, to, to, to be, because those people are, are so powerful in your life as a, as a student. And then if you survive that process... You get to go to national service, or you go out and you join a corporation, or you go on to university, or you know, there's, uh, and you get out, you start getting out into society, and there you find out that there are other people, other powerful people in your life, and they're going to show you uh, how you have to talk, and how you have to walk, and how you have to dress, and how you have to behave if you want to be a success, and how awful and devastating it is not to be a success, and, uh, and how, to, how to carry yourself, and, and how to answer, and, 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 and you know, attitudes and values you have to have. And so, basically, when you get to, to be an adult, um, you're looking at the survivors. You know, and the, and, and, the, and the reason how we get to survive and, and hopefully thrive as an adult is that we've learned to adapt to the expectations of other people 
and we've learned to do it really fast. I mean, we're really good at it. We know, we know what's expected before anyone says anything. We know how to meet that expectation. We've already planned it. We've already, we've already we, you know, I mean, we're, we're like, excuse me, but we're like little animals in the jungle, right? You know, like, we've got that reflex, all right? And, and that's how we get along. Now, the problem with this is that not everybody succeeds. In fact, a minority succeed at this. And that's why the world is just filled with broken lives, okay? Addictions, crime, broken marriages, broken relationships, failed careers. Uh, it, you know, it's just that that's the story of, of most people, okay? Now, think of that. Think of this from, from God's point of view. You know, he, when God looks at us, he doesn't see a crowd. God never sees a crowd because he knows everybody. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, you, you may, we may see a crowd, okay? God never sees a crowd. He knows every face. He knows every person. He's known them all their lives. He's known us from before we were born. And, and what's more heartbreaking, I think, for him is that he, know, he knows what he planned for you, for me, for everyone before we were born. And it wasn't just a plan. It was a father's love, a dream in his heart for every single person. And so that's why he calls. God's word goes out. Now, God's word is, is very, very concentrated in the preaching of, of, of the words from the Bible. But it's not limited to that. God calls us in a million different ways, and it's 24-7. God is calling, calling, calling. He calls through the, through the love of a father or a mother, through the faithfulness of a father, father or, or, or a son, or a husband or a wife, through the loyalty of a friend, through the beauty of nature, through the precision of science. God calls, calls, calls. Some of us, a lot of times it takes it takes failure to get us at, to, to a point where we become aware of our need for something outside of our own plan. Okay, but so let's say we get to that point somehow, okay, and we think, well, okay, I guess my plan, maybe my plan isn't really that great. Well, what else is there, right? <laughs> you know, who else has got a plan for me, all right? And at, maybe at that moment, by the grace of God, you become aware that God is calling. Now, Jesus said, many are called, few are chosen. All right, what's the difference? God calls everybody. God wants everybody. He's calling because he knows everybody. He calls to everybody. What's the difference between being called and chosen? Basically, it's when you come to that point, by the grace of God, you start making decisions. My plan isn't good enough. Oh, wait a minute. Who is this God? What's this God thing all about? And you start, but something inside of you, you may not know anything about it or him or the Bible or, or faith. Or, you may not know, but something inside of you goes, I got to find out. Or, something, or maybe even deeper, something inside of you goes, yeah, yeah. If that's true, that's what I want. And you make some decisions. You start to turn your life. No one can tell you where the line is, but it's in those making those decisions, turning your life, I think that you somehow cross the line between being among the called, because God calls to everyone, 
to becoming among the chosen. Basically, I'm telling you, we choose to be chosen. And, and the reason is that we're in God's image. We're not robots. God may have a plan, but he's not going to force you to do his plan. You get to decide. You decide. You're always free. Always free because you're like God. You can choose his plan or not. But my Bible says God will never change his mind about his plan. Isn't that what he said about Israel in Romans chapter 11? The gifts and the calling of God are without repentance. What God designed you to be, what God's plan is for you, he says, I don't change my mind. My plan was perfect the first time. You can choose it or not, but I'm not changing. So we make that choice. And we become among the chosen. Okay, so, you know, the Bible has a word for the chosen. The Bible word is ekklesia in the New Testament Greek. It just simply means called out. You're not just called, you got out. Right? The call became effective. It called you out of futility into purpose, out of darkness into light, out of death into life. You became chosen, okay? And the Greek word ekklesia in our English Bibles is translated church. That's church. Church are those people, they've heard the call, and they've made some decisions. Some decisions. I'm going to answer that. I'm going in that direction. Okay? And then it starts. Okay. Let's say you go down that road. Now you're among the chosen. Right? <laughs> and you can worship God. You can pray. You can read the Bible. You can get your sins forgiven. Okay? But at a certain point... You've got to realize, and this is the, the path of becoming a fruitful disciple in your life. You've got to realize that the God that you pray to, the God that you worship, the Jesus that you follow, is more than your Savior, more than your spiritual friend, more than your Redeemer. This God is your Creator, as well as those other things. That means He's the one who had the plan before you were born. Before you were born, he's the one who designed you, and he had this plan in mind. And as a loving father, he had a dream in his heart, and he made you for that. All right, when you come to that realization, you're going to say, wow, hey, wait a minute. I'm in dialogue with this, this God. I talk, and sometimes I know, he's, I know when he's talking to me. You know what? I'm going to talk to him about the plan, right? Okay, this is, now you're getting, you're going down that path. This is what I mean by discipleship, right? That's what happened to this Simon Peter, right? He went down that path, right? And God spoke to him, okay? Let me tell you something about you, Simon, okay? You want to know the plan? I'll, I'll, I'll give you a hint. It's not what you think. It's more. All right, so let's say, let's say you get to that point in your walk and you say, wow, if the God I worship and the God I pray designed me personally to be me, you know what? The next time I talk to him, I'm going to talk to him about that plan. I'm going to say, hey, Lord, I just learned that you're my creator. I just learned that you have a detailed plan, a perfect plan for my life that you already made. Hey, you know what? I'd like to know the plan. Tell me the plan, please. Now, I know I've been in, in ministry, you know, more than 40 years. 
And, uh, you know, and I've been a pastor most of that time. So I, I know, you know, a lot of people get to that point, particularly young people, and then they'll come look for someone like me. And a lot of times, here's what they say. They say, well, pastor, you know, I believe what you said. I checked it out in the scriptures. I think, I, I think you're right. God has a plan for me. And, uh, and yeah, and I know him well enough to pray. And so I've been praying that prayer. But every time I ask him to know the plan, he doesn't say anything to me. All right. I've, I've heard that often enough so that I know pretty much what the issue is. You know what the issue usually is? How many of you would like to know? All right, two of you. All right, that's, that's okay. <laughs> All right, the, the issue usually is you're not ready to do the plan. Okay, you want to know the plan, but you're not ready to do the plan. All right, now listen, God knows everything, right? He already knows what's in your heart and in your mind before you start to pray. So when you come in to pray that prayer, if God knows that you're not ready to do what he's planned for you, it's actually more merciful for him not to say anything to you. <laughs> right? Because if he tells you what the plan is, knowing that you're not going to do it, doesn't that just increase your guilt? So I think, I think out of mercy, out of love, out of respect for us, oftentimes God hears your prayer, but he just chooses to be silent. He's going to wait. And I think this is, may also be why God chooses to be invisible. You know, he chooses to be invisible. <laughs> that way he can be silent and we think he's not there. <laughs> right? No, but he's listening. <laughs> he's always there. <laughs> He's always there. He's listening. Okay, so now the question is, okay, so how do I get him to tell me? Well, very simple. You know, look, the Bible has dozens, if not hundreds, of, um, of instructions about offerings and sacrifices, you know? And, I mean, you know, just go through the Bible. It's you know, sacrifice this, sacrifice that. Okay, I can sum it up for you in one sentence. This is a discount I'm offering. I can sum up the whole sacrificial system in one sentence. You want to know the sentence? How many of you want to know the sentence? Do you want that? Just, ah, now it's, now it's four or five of you, okay? <laughs> All right, here's the sentence. Never, never go to God's house with nothing in your hands. You don't go to God with nothing. You don't go to God's house without a gift. Ah, now this proves that God is Asian. Right? I mean, Asian people everywhere, they know you don't go to anybody's house without a gift. So why would you go to God's house with nothing? All right? Especially if you want something valuable from him. You want his plan for your life and you bring him nothing? All right, but I know what some of you are thinking. What can I bring God that's meaningful to him? Isn't he the man who has everything? Well, I'll tell you something God doesn't have until you put it in his hands. You know what it is? It's your sovereign decision, your personal decision, your commitment. Lord, whatever you tell me to do, I'll make it my business to get that done for you. 
All right, Lord, I'm gonna come in a few minutes, I'm gonna come and pray. But here's what I'm bringing you today, my gift. You tell me to do something, I promise I'll get that done for you. All right, you bring that gift <laughs> to, to the house of God, you put it on the altar, here's my gift, Lord. The Lord's gonna unwrap it and say, oh, nice gift. Precious gift, precious gift. I, I accept that. Now, now, what was it that you wanted? Lord, I want your will for my life. Anything you tell me to do, I promise I'll do it. God says, oh, good. All right, do this. And you go, that? Do that? No, that's not what I had in mind. <laughs> not, not that. I was afraid you'd say that. <laughs> All right. My time's just about up. But I think you get the idea. You start down that path. You bring him that gift. All right? And whatever little thing or big thing or medium-sized thing or visible thing or invisible thing, that he tells you to do, you get up and you go do it. And then when you've done it, you come back and you say, okay, Lord, done it. What's next? <laughs> All right, what's next? You go down that road for a while. That's where you find your passion. That's where you find your gift. That's where the plan starts opening up. After a while, God just says, pushing a door open for you. He's bringing someone into your life. He's saying, I told this person. This person told me what you told me. Tell me what to do, Lord, and I'll do it. All right, I'm telling him he's going to help you. All right? And after a while, your life starts being fruitful. And you realize that's what God wanted. And you realize if God is for me, who can be against me? If God tells me to do it, it's going to get done. We're going to, God and me, we're going to do it together. And then you start to see fruitfulness. And what you find out is there are things that you must do in that plan. And the difference between what you must do in God's plan and everything else is the difference between dead works and good works. Whether at the end of your life you're going to have a life full of dead works or whether you're going to be able to bring good works to the Lord. And you know you want good works, not just faith, you want good works, if you want to hear him say, well done, right? If you want to hear him say, well done, I think it's a good idea to have done something by then. <laughs> but what, what do I do? What does God want me to do? You gotta get the plan. Because everything in the plan is your good work. Everything outside is dead. All right, so I'd just like to pray for you that we'll all get on this path and become very fruitful. Jesus said to his disciples, some of you, you're gonna be so fruitful 30 times, 60 times, some of you 100 times. Your fruitfulness you're, as disciples is, is destined, is intended by God to more than make up for all that is wasted on the lives of the people who never get the plan of God in their lives, who spend their entire lives 
never knowing what is it that God wanted me to do. Who am I really? Who am I to God? Who am I to my creator? You get answers to that question and your life begins to be filled with purpose. That's where the power of God is. It's not just out there somewhere, okay? No, now it's right here. I have the power of God because I know that when he tells me to do, mountains have to move so that I can get that done. All right, so I'd like to pray for you. I know some of you are at a crossroads in your life. Uh, some of you have decisions to make. Some of you, this touched something in your heart. And you're saying, I, I would like to be a disciple. Some of you, you know members of your family that you know that they're just kind of, they may be believers, but they haven't found their purpose in life or their purpose in the kingdom. They haven't come into that fruitfulness and you want that so much for yourself or you want that for members of your family. What I'd like to do is, is if you would like me to pray for you in these last two or three minutes, would you just stand and I'd just like to pray over you. And I'd like to say, people, you, if you're watching uh, this uh, the city campus, uh, if you're watching at another location, this would be a good time to stand. I'm gonna close this by saying a prayer uh, over these people who are asking God to do something personally in your life. You know, the reason I'm asking you to stand, there's a, there's a reason, and it's this. It's a signal, you know, in meetings like this, there's a limited number of things we can do physically, okay? Just the way these, uh, we, 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 we have, it's the way the meetings are set up. But one of the things you can do is stand, and what you're saying what you're saying by standing is you're saying, Lord, I'll do the human part. I'll move this human body, okay? If, Lord, you'll do the God part, right? You're asking, it's an appeal to heaven. I do the human if you'll do the God stuff. And that's what I'm asking you in my life. So Holy Spirit, we just thank you for the power of truth to set us free. It's, it's the freedom to do the will of God, the freedom to know I'm in the center of his will. The freedom to be able to say to my God, to my creator, Lord, anything that you say, anything you tell me to do, I'll make it my business. It will be my joy to get that done for you. Because I'll, I know because of your love, because of your perfection, you would never tell me to do something that you hadn't already planned for me to do. That's what I want, Lord. I want to be in the center of your will. So Lord, send out your, your light and your truth. Let God, let God read the book of your life. And now, Holy Spirit, I pray that you'll speak to my brothers and sisters, whether they're young, whether they're middle-aged, whether they're older like me. Lord, it's never too early and it's never too late to start and find the center of your will. Lord, and I pray that you'll make us very, very fruitful as we go forward as disciples that we'll bring you lots of good things in our lives. Lord, I also pray for members of our family. I know some of you are standing for others. Lord, would you begin, would you hear our intercession? Would you move in the members of our family, the ones who are dearest to us? You chose them to be in our family. We didn't choose them, you chose them. And you put that love in our hearts. And now we pray that you'll move with power in their lives. Hear our prayers 
for those who are closest to us. I want to finish this by just speaking a blessing over all of you. This is the blessings that was given to the priests in the days of the Bible. I'm going to say it in Hebrew over you, and then I'll also say it in English. Yivarechacha Adonai ve'yishmerecha ya'er Adonai panav elecha ve'yechunecha isa Adonai panav elecha ve'asemlecha shalom b'shem Yeshua Adonenu ve'malkenu May the Lord bless you and may the Lord protect you. May the Lord's face shine upon you and show you his loving kindness. May God lift up his eyes and look directly upon you and show you his shalom in the name of Jesus, our Lord and our King. Amen. God bless you. <laughs>